0: Donovan Mitchell Traded, Draft Picks, Draft Picks, More Draft Picks, and ESPN's Brian Windhorse. What is going on with Brian Windhorse on Roundball Roundup on utahjazz.com? I'm JP Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, NMLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. Draft Picks. Alan Hahn, when he joined this show, called them the currency of hope. Assets, capital, whatever you call it, the Jazz got it now. And they're looking for more. They've got 13 unprotected or lightly protected picks now until 2029, when I don't even know what's going to be happening then. They made that the priority this offseason. Didn't have any draft picks this last year. Zero. Draft is boring. Watched on the sidelines. Well, now they're in the game. And over the last decade, the Jazz have kept, drafted, just six first-rounders. That's going to change over the next 10 years. They're going to have more. Because they got players. They got good players in this transaction. But the draft capital has clearly been the priority in what they've done this summer. So who knows how they're going to be with the Cavs. It's going to be down the road. Trade grade's going to come out later when you update them all. But this is a position that the franchise just hasn't been in. The Jazz. I say that because the first 10 years of my life, they didn't draft in the top 15. It wasn't built this way. John Stockton and Karl Malone were teens picks. They weren't top fives. The franchise doesn't draft number one overall. And I know there's some Gail Goodrich heads out there saying, hey, what are you talking about? 1979. The draft pick that the Jazz traded away for Gail Goodrich to the Lakers it became Magic Johnson. And I'd say, hey, Gail Goodrich head, what are you doing listening to a podcast? But you are correct. That would be an opportunity for the Jazz to draft number one. But they didn't end up taking that pick. Side note, let me tell you about the Jazz history pod that I'm working on. Uh, It's amazing that this franchise even exists now. What they had to do at the very beginning, having to find new homes Every single day, they weren't the priority in their own building. It's amazing where they've come so far. Anyway, back to the draft picks. Because the highest that the Jazz have drafted over my lifetime have been three, Ennis Freedom, Darren Williams, and five, Dante Exum. They haven't had the good fortune of being top drafters, having everything on the board. Okay? The Cavs have. LeBron James, they've drafted five times in the top three over the last 18 years. So now the Jazz have picks. And now this becomes a small wins, a development, a draft pot, keeping up with what's happening with Scoot Henderson in the G League. Does anyone have the Wembenyama link? What's the stream looking like? Can I get HD? Because usually... We're looking toward the playoffs. That's why they didn't draft high during Stockton and Malone. Even the first year without those two guys, they went near 500. As you turn the page, Jazz history, we're going to find out how good these young players are. THT, I wasn't high on him. Taylor Horn Tucker looked difficult with the Lakers last season, but he's also playing off the ball. And as a creator, as a playmaker, Playing next to LeBron James, yeah, LeBron's better at that than you. And you're going to be playing off the ball more. Now, on this team, he'll get more opportunity. And he has a scorer next to him now. Colin Sexton, 38% three point shooter. If you take out that injury plague season last year. And then Lauren Markkinen, he was played out of position in Cleveland. Can he be a big for this team? Because the other two, it's Kessler and Azubuki. And you think that position is done I don't know I don't even think that this roster is done being reshaped the direction is pretty clear you know where we're going but the picture still a little fuzzy Get knocked off your axis you're just trying to see what's going on now trying to get your bearings straight he's got a hit in the head no longer going to be a playoff team so who's with the new group where is it going towards? Who are guys you can build around? Because the two franchise cornerstones are gone. And we should acknowledge that. We should acknowledge both of them. Donovan Mitchell, amazing. He was spectacular for this place. He's a fringe all-NBA player. He's a playoff caliber shot maker, shoe salesman, a franchise face. And my first year covering this team was His first year. I remember those 40 points against the Pelicans. Downtown Salt Lake City, he brought this place electricity. He gave them something to watch. It wasn't going to be Rodney Hood's team. It was going to be Donovan's team, offensively. And he delivered. He's a kid who didn't think he was going to get drafted, puts his name in there, and gets picked by the Utah Jazz. He explodes in the playoffs. He's relied upon by a team that was hurting from losing Gordon Hayward that summer. And he did it for him. He should be remembered fondly. And I'm glad he goes to a winner, very similar to what Rudy's going to, a winner. He's going to have an opportunity to have success because that's what he deserves. He's a winning player. And I'm happy he's going to a place where they'll embrace him he put that picture up, him in a Cavs uniform, He loves LeBron. I'm sure he's going to accept that fan base, that place, just like he accepted here. He deserves that. They both deserve that. But when you're thinking, why did the Jazz trade these two players? Why are they deciding to go in this direction? Just know, I don't think that it was made in haste. It wasn't just something that they put together. I'll go back to Harvard Business Review. You know, something that I read from time to time. This isn't the first mention of the Business Review on this podcast. But Ryan Smith wrote in it last year. And I remember this vividly only because my boss made sure everybody read it in the office. Somebody even printed it. I didn't know you had printers this day and age. But someone printed it. And it leads off like this. One of the hardest disciplines in business and in life is tearing down what you've built to build something better, and knowing when to do it, especially if everything is going well. At first we did it out of necessity, but we soon learned that it's much easier to change from a position of strength than when your hand is forced to buy the market of your competition. No major bet or pivot was successful in less than three or four years, so we learned to change when times were good. Still... Sometimes you have no choice but to rebuild in the middle of crisis. Five stars. Nice reviews. That's all I ask of you. Let others know that you're listening to the podcast. What's going on with Brian Windhorse? ESPN's NBA insider? Why wasn't this New York? What happened to get this in the deal zone? Those are the questions that I ask him. Go over the, what the Jazz received, how this deal got made, where they are host Rudy and Donovan please enjoy Brian Windhorse on round Ball roundup
1: well I mean who knows what's actually true probably only the jazz front office knows exactly when they made the decision um I can tell you that I, I think that there were people um, both in Donovan's camp and on the Knicks side who thought they were close on Sunday. I can tell you that after covering the NBA for 20 years, the term close is relative. Um, you know, team, when when there's a trade and a team doesn't execute, that one of the things that they always want to know is how close was it? That they try to do a postmortem on that. Um, so they were at least somewhat, you know, on the verge of doing that. And you know the Knicks' decision to sign R.J. Barrett to a contract extension really was a defining moment. <clears throat> I frankly, I don't have all the information, but I question why they did that. Um, it was not. It was a deadline that was created by the Knicks. Um, they were obviously trying to establish some sort of position in the trade talks. Um, the Knicks didn't believe that they had a real other bidder they knew the other teams were interested in, but they felt that they could offer the most. And they, you know, they, they kind of wanted to have position. And so even when RJ signed the contract, he was not impossible to trade. You know, there are, there are difficult uh, there. It's, it's, it's more strategically difficult to, to functionally do a trade, but it could have been done. And in some ways I would even argue that in a vacuum, when you trade for a player like RJ Barrett and already know what his contract is, um, he almost becomes more valuable because I felt that contract was a fair contract. Um, I think uh, it was always a desirable contract. You'd want RJ Barrett on that contract. It would be a little bit unfair to him because he would sign a contract with a team and then get traded a couple of weeks later, but um, I've seen it happen. So, I didn't necessarily think that that signing was the breakoff point, but it appeared to be. And then the jazz moved on and never went back to the Knicks from what I'm told. And look, I mean, I can put to both sides here. I can say that, um, you know, the Knicks, I don't think maybe, I think that they, that they, I don't think they needed to sign RJ to that contract. I don't think it was necessary in these talks um, not having been involved in them, but I think it was an unnecessary Uh, move in the negotiation. And I'm not so sure that it was necessary for the jazz to then be so frustrated by that, to not talk to them again and just go do another deal. I wonder if emotions didn't play in on both sides there. That said the jazz were able to get a very good haul for, for Donovan. Um, You know, it, I don't know how good Colin Sexton is going to be for them. He definitely is a high upside player. I was a little bit surprised they guaranteed him all four years of that contract, but we're getting pretty far into the weeds talking about the fourth year of a sign and trade contract. Um, you know, I'd be surprised if Lowry Markin finishes the contract he's on in Utah. I think he's a candidate to get moved on at some point. Um, and they got OJ Abadji who was a, who was a, um, a good prospect, um, you know, but this is really a draft pick based trade. Um, you know, they didn't get a player in this trade Well, I don't know. Maybe Sexton will turn into a star. I I don't think that he will. I think he's a quality player. I don't think he's a star. But these were draft pick-centric trades, both the Rudy Gobert trade and the Donovan Mitchell trade. And what they seemed to want from the Knicks was draft picks plus high-value players. And the Cavs, basically, the prime piece of the trade was the draft picks. And so I wonder if there wasn't a deal to still be made with the Knicks, um, and we'll never know. And we won't know how good this trade will be for Utah for a while. Seven years from now, the 2029 pick, I mean, you look back at the Cavs, the Cavs have made the playoffs. They have not made the playoffs without LeBron James since 1998. They have not won a playoff series without LeBron James since 1993. So is it a bad bet to wager that the Cavs? will not be a playoff team in 2029. It might not be a bad bet. You know, that, that may end up, you know, they may value the Cavs' picks for that far down the road. They may value them more. But in a vacuum, I think the New York Knicks' unprotected picks, closer term, would be more valuable. And I wonder if the Jazz left something on the table by by breaking off those talks and moving on. I guess we'll wait and find
0: out. In your story to up on ESPN.com, Kobe Altman, J.B. Bakerstaff, they were still doing tests. They were getting ready for exams in their respective schools. How do you think they are similar, the Rudy Gobert trade, the draft capital they got there, the flexibility and contracts with what they got with Donovan Mitchell in this Cleveland Cavaliers package?
1: Well, both those trades were with teams who felt that this was the last star player that they needed to acquire, um, the the Wolves believe with Anthony Edwards and Carl Towns that getting Rudy Gobert sort of sets the core of their team. I'm sure that they want to work on the supporting pieces. I don't think the Cavs are set. <clears throat> the Cavs have some holes on their team. But you know, the Cavs can look at the, can look you in the eye and say that they think that they have four all-stars now. Um, you know, Jared Allen and, and Darius Garland were all-stars last year. Donovan's obviously a three-time all-star. And I mean, I know Evan Mobley hasn't made the all-star team yet, but he looks like a guy who's going to be an all-star if he's healthy. So they were more comfortable. The other thing I think it's interesting and important is that there was a comfort level between the Jazz and the Cavs. Um, They've done four, three or four trades before this in the last three or four years. When you go back and you think about Rodney Hood, uh, Alec Burks, uh, Jordan Clarkson, Um, I know they did a minor trade last year um, that saved the jazz some money. I think it was, it was just a, it was an end of bench trade that uh, the jazz offloaded some salary. Um, So there's a lot of um, there's a working relationship there between uh, Justin Zanuck and Kobe Altman. And uh, he was the president and Mike Gansey, who's the general manager. And then even go further, it was Kobe Altman and Danny Ainge who did the Kyrie Irving trade back in 2017 um, so whereas there was some animus, I think between the Knicks and the jazz, especially after the RJ Barrett thing, there was a, not only were the Cavs basically coming to the table and saying, look, we're dumping the whole track, the whole treasure chest out of them. It mean, wasn't much more negotiation than I think that the, the jazz could have gotten. They literally got every first round pick. The Cavs were allowed to trade. They got the swaps, no protection on any of that. I mean, I don't know what else they could have gotten. Um, so, not only were the Cavs dumping it all on the table, just as you know, eventually the Wolves did too. But there's a comfort level and a trust level. These these guys have done big deals together. They've done small deals together, and um, you know, I think that may have made a, a difference in the end. How do you assess the players that they got? So, um, Markin actually played today, Finland against Israel. I think they won. Um, I think he's played pretty well for Finland over the uh, summer. Um, He's uh he's an NBA rotation player. I mean, he, when, when he was drafted, he was regarded as a potential star. I don't think that's where he's headed. I think he'll have a long career as a, you know, as a quality player. He is, um he, his, his his reputation is he's not a good defender, but I think he works hard on defense and there are times when his size defensively does cause opponents trouble, but he gets taken advantage of defensively. Um, he's been criticized in the past for for, for despite having good size, not being tough. Um, but there are times when he's completely unguardable from the perimeter. So I think, you know, um, he's, a, uh, he's a rotation player. Uh, Abaji is, you know, he's 22 years old. He was a – I wouldn't say he was a controversial pick for the Cavs. Um, you know, they, they, they took a guy who could have probably immediately helped them over some other players at that position who may have been better fits defensively. Um, that were bigger. That were that were bigger, um, but he is a total professional level shooter. In summer league, the Cavs ran plays for him, ran um, NBA style plays designed to get him open. Um, you know, floppy action and stuff. If you know what I'm talking about, and he delivered. He is a straight catch and shoot player, and I do think he defends. I think he will be a quality rotation player, you know, right from the start. So I think both those guys rotation players, I think they're role players. Um Colin Sexton is a guy who um really improved in his couple years in Cleveland from a shooting standpoint. His he was a but he really showed he's a better shooter than I thought he would be. I don't have his numbers right in front of me, but he was kind of a high usage volume scorer. Um and uh you know, I think the thing with him is in Cleveland, people thought that ideally he would actually, ironically, people kind of thought that he could be a Jordan Clarkson type player um, that, you know, Clark, Clarkson early in his career was a guy who, you know, he, he was a second round pick, not the eighth overall pick like Colin Sexton was. I mean, Colin Sexton came into Cleveland with huge expectations because he was the the centerpiece asset that the Cavs got, bad, got back for Kyrie Irving. And, uh, you know, they elected to trade for the draft pick instead of uh, instead of a player at the centerpiece of that trade. Um, and uh, so the Cavs took him at eighth and you know, he was, you know, he was out of Alabama and, you know, uh, famously had like, you know, competed hard when I don't remember how or why. But Alabama was down to three players and somehow he held his own. And, and Dan Gilbert, the Cavs owner, loved that about him. He was. Dan Gilbert came to his workout in Cleveland and just loved how competitive he was. And he was a fan favorite in Cleveland because they were terrible his first couple of years, but he was out there scoring 25, 28, you know, playing his backside off. Um, he's limited though. He's limited defensively. And, um, you know, he's, he, I think his perfect role is to be a, uh, a combo guard off the bench. I think if he had stayed in Cleveland, he would have come off the bench this year. He would have come off the bench behind Darius Garland And I don't know how he would have felt about that. Um, 18 million a year is, I think is considerably more per season than the Cavs were offering him. Uh, Although the Cavs didn't, you know, they knew that they had position on him because he was restricted free agent. Um, You know, I think, I don't remember what Clarkson got paid by the jazz, but that contract was um, sort of a baseline for what the Cavs, I think were looking at. They were looking at, him being a player uh, like Jordan Clarkson who could come off the bench and score a lot of points. So if the jazz ultimately end up trading Jordan Clarkson, it wouldn't surprise me if, um, if Colin sort of filled that type of role, although I have no idea what their roster is going to look like on opening night, um, considering that they may trade a n- number of more players. So he might end up being the unquestioned starting point guard, but I think his long-term role in the NBA is as a scorer off the bench, he may debate that he's, um, he's very proud of himself. Um, But none of these guys do I consider to be star players. You know, when you look at big trades, um, ideally what you get is a star player and draft compensation. It doesn't always work out that way. You know, if you look at the Anthony Davis trade, for example, they got three draft picks that the Pelicans did and Brandon Ingram. Um, when you look at the trade that the um, Thunder made for Paul George, they got all those draft picks and Shea Gildas-Alexander. Um, I don't think in these two trades that the that the Jazz got a player like that. I could be wrong, though. I mean, Colin Sexton could prove a lot of what I just said wrong. I don't feel, like, dogmatic about it. I think the primary focus on these, on these um, trades was those draft picks and those swaps. And I remember when Danny Ainge um, made the famous deal with the Brooklyn Nets when he was running the Celtics um, where they got all the picks and the swaps with the Nets. Um, and they had this very sort of sad press conference with all these players they traded for, none of whom really wanted to be there. And they sort of had these sort of like dead face, stone face stares when they were holding up their jerseys. It was like uh, – Chris Humphrey and Jason Terry, Chris Humphreys and Jason Terry, but you can find the photo. They're like, why are we even here? And I would, I remember that when the Celtics would have press conferences, they would pass out uh, uh, sheets of paper to the media that showed all of their draft picks. Basically they were saying, don't judge us on what we have now, judge us on what we're going to be. Um, They were pretty naked in, in having that opinion. And if you look at the Celtics and what happened there, you can see why Danny Ainge went this route he drafted Jason Tatum. He drafted Marcus smart. He drafted Jalen Brown. He drafted Grant Williams. Yeah. And they missed on some picks too. You know, they took other guys in the lottery that didn't work out, but you know, they hit on those guys, The team that was two wins from the finals last year was generally built with players that Danny Ainge drafted through making trades to get picks. And so, um, I think the Jazz are in for some um, some long winter nights the next couple seasons, but I understand why Danny Ainge went this route.
0: Before we get to Donovan's fit on Cleveland, I want to ask what's the market with NBA insiders on the other players still on the Jazz? Mike Conley, Boyan Bogdanovich, yeah. Jordan Clarkson. I think that
1: I've talked to two or three teams already that are interested in, in, in Boyan. Um I think the jazz will have a selection of options that they can go there. Um, I know of at least three or four right off the top of my head. And um, I think there's a good chance they'll get a first round pick for him. And the question will be, will they want to build a larger deal for him or will they want to do a straight up deal for him? And they might even be able to get a first round pick for him. And then maybe another player that they can then retrade, maybe not for another first, but maybe for, two seconds or something like that. Um, So when they make a deal, it'll be interesting to see if they just want what they did in these other trades, which is just players to balance out the trade or whether they want actual, um, you know, prospects. My guess is it'll be a pick and a player that they may not necessarily want to keep. Um, uh, Conley's a little bit more complicated because he's owed $15 million next year. And I would want him on my team, but you could argue that that might be viewed as a bit of a um, undesired contract, even though, again, I'd really want him. And so the jazz may not be able to get great market value for him. Um, So that may be a a guy that they either don't trade for a while or attach to one of their other players. Um, But I think it's, um, I think there's a good chance that Boyan will be moved. I think there's a good chance Malik Beasley will be moved. There's a decent chance Jordan Clarkson will be moved. I think there's interest in all those players. And then as far as the guys that they've acquired, um, you know, they've already traded, obviously, one guy they acquired, Patrick Beverly. And in that, in that situation, they looked for a, a prospect player in Taylor Horton Tucker. Um, and so I think you'll either see those guys traded for other prospect players or straight up traded for draft picks.
0: Let me tell you about first colony mortgage they've been serving the lending needs of utah for more than 35 years as a mortgage banker first colony mortgage offers advantages over other lenders not only do they process mortgages they also underwrite fund and close mortgage loans all in-house their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs just check them out first colony mortgage the official mortgage lender of the utah jazz
1: I was looking at some photos of Darius and Donovan talking to each other during a game, and they look eye to eye. They're the exact same size. And um, you know, you you know, if if you saw the Cavs played all last year, you know that sometimes they struggled scoring. I like think they ranked 20th in the league in scoring in their um, in their playing games where they lost. They lost two play-in games. Um, they struggled, and their their last game against Atlanta, especially uh, Darius Garland was a little bit banged up with uh, I think it was a back injury. And if he couldn't create offense, they just couldn't get it. They couldn't get it. You know, Evan Mobley isn't ready. Um, you know, Kevin Love is not an offensive creator. Uh, they don't have great wing scores. They really relied heavily. This is you know, you know um, Sexton as a creator, and um, not having Sexton really showed up because he was out for the year with the knee injury. And um, so getting Donovan to, who's a, obviously, as all Jazz fans know, one of the most dynamic scorers in the league, it's a huge. Um, uh, boost to what they needed, which was uh, you know, they were top, you know, top ten defensive team for most of the year, and um, you know, just a sub a bottom third offensive team. So this gets them not only a guy who can who can score points, but a guy who can create and take pressure off of um off of garland and they you know my guess is that they will start and finish games together but they will spend stretches of the games playing opposite each other uh staggering so that they can both get their time to cook if you will um but as i said they're both kind of smaller guards and I, I mean i got to know donovan personally and uh, his game really well when i covered the 2019 world cup i don't know if any jazz fans were awake in the middle of the night when um the usa played france in a game that the french won it was one of the best games i've ever seen rudy play and in that game you know rudy shut down uh, donovan at the rim several times because one of the challenges with donovan is at the end of games when you really need it you know he he doesn't quite have the size um to to deliver i mean he doesn't mean he can't obviously jazz fans have watched him deliver in high value games but you do feel his lack of height um sometimes in high Demand high basket situations. Well, the Cavs do have size, and the Cavs do have basket defense. So, if you're gonna if you're gonna pair two small, defensively suspect guards like Garland and um, and Donovan, you want to have basket defense. Well, the Cavs have two of the best rim protecting bigs in the league, and Jared Allen and Evan Mobley. And uh, I think Mobley's game is developing. They're hoping offensively so that he becomes more of a threat shooting the ball and creating with the ball and really their, their future is sort of tied to him. Um, but as I, w- I was telling people in Cleveland on the radio today, I'm not sure how familiar folks in Cleveland are with Donovan. I mean, obviously he's been on national TV a lot, but you of course know they're going to fall in love with him. That You know, there's going to be number 45 Cavs jerseys popping up very fast because of um, his magnetism as a player and the way he, the way he plays, obviously sometimes he's frustrating he doesn't, you know, deliver a thousand percent of the time, but um, he obviously does a lot of things. And on a team that's competitive with three other stars, all in their twenties, all under contract, it probably is going to be a home for him for the next couple of years, at least.
0: What kind of star power can he expect from Cleveland? They've had Kyrie, they've had LeBron. Nobody's going to touch LeBron in terms of popularity yeah. there, but he's been on NBA 2K China. He has a signature shoe, with Adidas, where is he in terms of star power, bringing it to, to Cleveland? Not the same as it would have been in New
1: York. (laughs) It wouldn't have been the same as, uh, you know, being a star every few nights at, uh, MSG. But, you know, I think, you know, the Cavs were on national TV nine times already. And my guess is that they'll squeeze out a few more now that, you know, they'll figure out a way to put him on a few, a few more. Um, and if he excels in the playoffs, he'll get a lot of attention. Um, the Cavs' future is really tied, in my opinion, to Evan Mobley's growth as opposed to anything else. He, in my view, is their franchise player, but he is also not a dynamic personality. Um, he's a very quiet guy and doesn't play with a lot of emotion, doesn't have a magnetic personality. So while Donovan Donovan may be in a good spot here, is that um, he can deliver and he can sort of, take some spotlight but ultimately i think where the Cavs are going to go is going to be how far uh, evan mobley can take them is he going to be a chris bosch level player is he going to be a kevin garnett level player some people think he can be some people think he's got that type of talent um maybe he does maybe he doesn't maybe he settles into a um a 17 and 10 guy who has a 17 year career and makes 10 all-star teams but you know, is never a of a, a guy who leads a team. Maybe that's who he is. Maybe he turns into Garnett, where he's an absolute force at the defensive end, and and can still um, be one of the scoring leaders of a team on offense. That's what they're hoping. But I think Donovan will have less pressure on him than Mobley will. And really, I think it's a sort of a two season um, test because Donovan has three years left on his contract. And obviously you never want to have a player like him go into the final year of his deal with, the, with it being unsettled. So over the next two years, will the grouping that the Cavs have work will Donovan Excel and will Donovan want to be there. Um, and that, you know, it'll be a two, it'll be a two year trial. Um, and also the Cavs are going to have to get some other complementary pieces uh, in that time. But um you know they'll probably be a fun team to watch, and my guess is he will. Um, you know, get a, some attention. He won't be LeBron, but I'm, my my guess is that, you know, in the Eastern Conference where there's going to be a a pretty dynamic game at least every night between Philly, Brooklyn, Boston, Milwaukee, Miami. Even you look at Atlanta. I mean, Trey Young and that team is going to be really good. Um, there's going to be a lot of attention paid to those guys, and um, I think Donovan will be
0: right in with them. Let you go on this. Where did the Knicks go from here as the bridesmaid once again?
1: So they, they still have the draft picks. It doesn't sound like it's not like they they expire. Um, they still have those to trade. Um, you know, I think the Knicks, when they elected to trade, when they elected to sign RJ Barrett and basically, you know, send the, um, the Jazz a proverbial forearm shiver, they had to be prepared, even though I don't think, I don't, I think they thought they still could make the deal, but they had to be prepared for the for the idea that they were going to potentially not get this deal done. And they had to get to a place where they could live with not getting Donovan, uh, if it meant, in their mind, overpaying. And so <clears throat> now they have to swallow the jagged pill of watching another team get him and hope that the comfort of, well, we it's better to have... Um, to have not, to have not got him at all than to have gotten him an overpaid. And you could talk to 10 different people and get 10 different answers on how to feel about that. Um, you know, I, in, in a vacuum, I like the deals that the Knicks have made. I like the contract that Barrett signed. I like the contract that Mitchell Robinson signed. Uh, I don't think Jalen Brunson is a, um, is a franchise savior, but I, getting him for not without giving up anything. And they structured his contract in such a way that he'll be very valuable in trades, you know, going forward. I, I like that pickup. I don't think it should be the be all end all. Um, I even was okay with the Julius Randall contract. Um, He didn't play well last year, but I was fine with when he signed it, all of those decisions. And I'm, you know, again, in a vacuum, okay with not paying more than anybody else was offering for, um, you know, for Donovan. I mean, and if the price truly was two, unparte- you know, three picks and RJ Barrett and whoever else second player was, you know, the Cavs didn't give a player as good as RJ Barrett, even though they gave the three picks. So um, I think they have to get to a place where they're willing to say, you know, you, you live to fight another day. The problem is, is that in the NBA, nothing's guaranteed. And what I wonder is if, especially if they get off to a poor start, if they won't feel pressure to do something eventually, will they be able to stick to their, to their patience and their, and their, um, their plan? It's, it's, it's going to be tough, but I do think that some Knicks fans like had the, had the Knicks traded for Donovan and if Donovan was a Nick today, I don't think the Knicks are like a guaranteed playoff team, much less a team that could advance deep in the playoffs they would still have had to go make another deal or two. And that deal might not have happened for six months or maybe till next off season. And so that's the reality that the Knicks are clinging to whether or not it ends up being true. I guess we'll have to wait and see.
0: Are you glad that this got done before Labor Day?
1: I suppose, um, football season is starting this weekend anyway. So from an ESPN standpoint, there's only going to be so much room for basketball. Um, so, uh, I'm glad they got it done, but, uh, Uh, This is the best time of the year for those of us in the NBA, these uh, three or four weeks of football season before basketball starts, because the NBA is off everyone's radar. And so now I'm I'm glad to sink into the background and and watch football for a while.
0: I was gonna say, enjoy the three week break before training camp starts, but it's just right here. It's almost here.
1: Yes, but I will enjoy it nonetheless. (laughs)